0: Now, uh, without further ado, let's introduce our amazing panel. Uh, first off, we have Charlene Wang, who is a music production executive and uh, she's worked for uh, DreamWorks Animation and with huge artists like Dr. Dre, uh, Adele, Pharrell Williams, and she currently oversees music production for animated features and series at Netflix. Um, I think I got all that right. Please correct me if I got any of that wrong, but I think that's all right. You got it, first, Okay, <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right, and uh, the next panelist we have is Gina Zimitti, uh, who is a music contractor and coordinator extraordinaire, hiring the foremost LA musicians to record for film, TV, new media scores and performing for live concerts as she's worked on absolutely everything. Uh, some examples are Ghostbusters, Star Trek, Men in Black, Us, Ready Player One, X-Men, Watchmen, and a crazy number of other projects. So welcome Gina, thank you very much for being here. It's good to be here. Uh, And finally, we have Chris Tedesco, trumpet player extraordinaire, uh, also a music contractor and studio owner um, who has been recording remote trumpet, trombone and French horn for 16 years. His music can be heard in shows like American Horror Story, Feud, Timeless, Making History, The Quad, Jessica Jones, and the, the proverbial you name it. Uh so welcome, Chris.
1: Thank you for having me
0: mm. okay, great, yes and i yeah, it's amazing that I have you all here together um <laughs> because i'm I'm a big you know um all things music nerd, of course, doing music myself um I was thinking we we would just jump right into some questions because I'm anxious to get your input. um I know that for you, uh Charlene, you started out as a violinist uh and are still a violinist. I'm sure that's true um. And I'm curious to know how you went from that into uh, working as a music production executive like you do right now. I'm sure it was a, you know, a long and, and winding path, but I'd be interested to hear. And I think a lot of other musicians would be interested to hear how they can, they can take that kind of path.
2: Uh, yeah, thanks for allowing me to kick it off and, and be here with all of you today. And, yeah, I mean, I would just say that uh, where I've ended up is, is certainly nothing I ever planned for. Uh, I am a classically trained violinist and I still actually do studio work and I've worked with you Chris on your own scores um, I Gina has hired me on you know in her orchestras and I've yeah. hired Gina you know to contract for projects on the studio side. Chris and I have probably been in the same room playing together so you know it, there's a lot of um, crossover here and mm-hmm. I would say the sort of turning point with For me, was um, you know, from the classical sort of orchestral conservatory world to the film and TV world, was getting an internship with Hans Zimmer in two thousand three during Pirates of the Caribbean, and that sort of just changed the course of you know my career trajectory, and I I fell in love with uh, film music. And the rest is kind of history. Uh, I worked for um, Remote Control Productions um, with this Hans's uh, company for a couple of years before mm-hmm. moving on to DreamWorks Animation, um, where I was for almost a dozen years. But just you know, climbing the corporate ladder, starting as a music coordinator. Um, again, not having had any of that experience working in a film studio or really even on the administrative side of things. So I, I worked my way up over you know over a decade became director of music there, worked on 19 animated features. um, uh, And then, you know, um, have had a couple of stints freelance as a sort of music consultant and uh, then had an opportunity to go to Netflix in 2019. So I've just, I've been there for a couple of years now and all the while I've also been doing my studio work as a musician as well.
0: So you've definitely got a full schedule it sounds like. Yeah. So, what what do you do as a music production executive?
2: So, you know, our department, um, is, and and generally how music departments are structured at all the major film studios, is split between those production. So, I right now I lead the music production arm of our department on the animated features and series side, and so that means I'm, you know, me and my team are really like the tactical logistical people helping to do everything from book studios and, and during this time, like get all these studios cleared for, you know, during COVID um, mm-hmm. for specific types of recording sessions, we get people paid. So people tend to really like us, you know, we, <laughs> we, uh, you know, um, handle all the money and uh, tracking the budgets. Um, we are sort of, you know, I, I call myself a professional hand holder basically, but I'm, I work very closely with post-production and we just, Make sure everything gets delivered on time and on budget. And the big part of like what I do is, is really the scoring part of of when, you know, the score kicks into a film. And so I'm sort of more on the back end, but uh, we're like the shepherds, like taking it through to the finish line.
0: Yeah, that that, that sounds amazing. Uh, how about you, uh, Gina? How did you how did you go? I mean, I I believe that you started as a musician. I think all of you did and then transitioned into being a music contractor ultimately?
3: Well, my story is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. I I did that a little bit. I played piano when I was much younger for several years. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Um, I did not play professionally. Um, When I got into music contracting, it was um, at the time, it was through my boyfriend's mom and she ended up hiring me, her and her business partner. Um, her name was Patty Zimitti, she became my mother-in-law um, and Debbie Datz. And they hired me in the, early, I, I wanna say about 1993 or 1994. Mm-hmm. And um, they needed some help doing a Barbra Streisand tour that they were doing all over the U.S. And so I came aboard and it ended up just being a really good fit and I stayed on with them for the most part until, you know, throughout the years, some unforeseen circumstances, they both ended up several years apart, passing away. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just ended up loving what I did and building relationships and taking over the business and, um, that's kind of how it started. I've always had a really good ear, and I'm definitely a, like a relational person, so it just was a really good fit.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And uh, it it does seem like everybody it, it's it's not like other careers that are more regimented, where you know it's a matter of uh, just submitting your resume and then you know getting a job interview and so forth. I mean, it seems like careers in music production and contracting and so forth they they follow a somewhat more um, uh, circuitous path sometimes. I agree. Yeah. I agree for sure. And
3: yeah. it's honestly of, you know, I mean, we all know that even as a, as a professional musician, mm. um, when you're trying to get into the recording side of things, it's also who, you know, um, relationships, reaching out to principal players and um, all of that. But yeah, it's interesting because, I got, I, I did my very first movie on my own with John Powell on an Ice Age, and he had recently hired Debbie, who sadly got really sick right around that time, and I remember being at the Fox stage, and I had to go, and so, you know, I was in, like, the side room with the little ISO booth with him, hmm. I said, you know what, I know you hired Debbie, and she's too sick to be here. And so now you have me and this is my first job. Like it was a big, huge production. I don't know the answers to your questions. I'll find out. And he was like, <laughs> okay, let's do it. And so that's pretty much how I started and uh, been doing it ever since. Uh,
0: you know, uh, why, don't we hear, why don't we hear from Chris, Chris T. about uh, how did you get your start doing music contracting it sounds like you've been playing i mean trumpet all of your life obviously
1: um yeah it, it, well i mean it it's one of those things where uh, i went to college at university of miami in florida and i originally went as a classical trumpet player jazz trumpet player with a studio music and jazz degree and i after one semester i said good lord what am i going to do with this so I, I switched my major to music business. It was called music merchandising at the time. And this is, oh, God, fall of, uh, uh, I think it's fall of 79 or 80 or something like that. And so uh, I switched to music merchandising, music industry. And it was the only program in the country at the time founded by uh, Alfred Reed, a composer and a music business guy. So, but I always played trumpet, jazz classical. And, but I got this degree. My dad says it's a good idea. You got some backup, you know. You study uh, basic business classes. I'm literally 30 credits short of a business degree. And then your last year of school, you're intense thrown into the music business, you know, courses of publishing, copyright, record companies, all those things. And so like, and it was hard, you know, being a trumpet player and being in uh, business law class. All right. Finance 351 nearly killed me. I mean, I passed with a C to graduate and I said, please, please. Can you give me a C so I can graduate college? So it was really hard as a trumpet player, but I'm glad I got it. And then my internship at the end of the, the degree was to manage uh, the second jazz band and the second jazz jazz small group at U Miami for my last semester was an internship. And I had to book them gigs. I booked them on a tour at the Mobile Jazz Festival and, and Birmingham Jazz Festival, rode on a bus with the band and, and like, you know, so you don't, I mean, at that time, you don't say, hey, I'm going to be a music contractor when I go out to LA and I'm going to do, no, no, no. So I moved to LA in 87. I had a famous uh, uh, guitar playing cousin called Tommy Tedesco that laid the way for uh, a bunch of, of things that I do. And that was February of 87. He actually told me not to move here because the business had been changing since the strike of 1980 and the musicians union. Literally tells me, man, if you come out here now, uh, Conti Condolee and Pete Candoli are barely working, you're out of your mind. And I said, um, too late, I'm already in Burbank, <laughs> you know. And so, I mean, the bad news is that I didn't play guitar because I got, I could have took some of his gigs, right? But so I come out here just wanting to be one of the guys and be a player and don't expect anything. You know, I, you move out here, your competition is the number one trumpet player in L.A. You're so stupid when you come here. You think you're going to work and you're not. It takes years for somebody to trust you are playing to go to a studio session uh, or, you know, and so like the contracting thing came up because, uh, I had a friend of mine saying, Hey, don't you have a music business degree? Do you want to hire my horn players for this, uh, record date? You know, we're go. I, I can't remember what it's probably 20 years ago. Um, you seem to know everybody, uh, you want to do the union paperwork for this. And, and and so I go, yeah, I can do that. And you just say yes to everything. You know, when you, when you're a freelancer, you say yes to everything. So. You know, so I I still am a trumpet player every morning before I do anything else. And the contracting thing is like, you know, if I stop playing and just, Gina's a a very prominent contractor and what she does is incredible, keeps jobs in town, employs musicians. So, uh, which is an incredible thing. Unfortunately, I'm still infected with the playing aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. And in my home studio, I still do very well for my home studio. So, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, should I do this? Because when you do this, sometimes takes you out of the pool of another, Hey, we, you know, yeah, yeah, we, we don't, we don't need a contractor. We need a trumpet player. So like, I you know, doing mm-hmm. both. So it's like, it's kind of like a double edge. Do I wish I didn't do it? No, because I have people that are hired that like me and then, it just depends. I mean, every day is different, and especially now in COVID, it, it's so yeah. bizarre of a world. So I'm I'm glad I did it, but at sometimes I'm glad I wish I wouldn't have done it because I would maybe be doing some things just as a trumpet player, right? And so, yeah. you know, but I think it's a noble thing to try to keep gigs in town and money in town and try to employ friends and I try to spread it around and who needs a job, who hasn't worked and who texts me and says, Hey, look, I, you know, I, I, Hey man, what you haven't called me in six months. I, I need a gig, you know, that kind of thing, <laughs> you know? So I, 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 I want to say, I don't want to say I fell into it. I like doing it. Uh, it's definitely challenging these days, but you know, musicians are used to challenges. I mean, we're, we're great survivors on all fronts, anybody in the, in, anybody in, in the frames here, us four can tell you, you start with you start with zero, you know, and you know it's amazing um, what you can figure out how to how to make things work, especially in the yeah. pandemic. I mean, look what's going on, yeah. and people are still working. Gene is still working. Charlene's still working. I'm still working, and that's insane a year after this stuff started. Yeah. You know. Yeah.
0: Uh, why don't we go to uh, we have a question from the chat from Juliet Romeo. And here's, a, here's something that I think all of your input will be very valuable uh, for. Uh, she says, I'm interested in learning the best way to communicate with my music composer to get my vision across. And presumably she, she's a director. What, uh, what, what would you say about that, Charlene?
2: Um, I would say, I mean, the, the buzzword there that will sort of just carry, you know, a filmmaker through from beginning to end is communication. And so it really is. I think the more you can align on on just the overall creative vision, and it, it is really driven by you know uh, I would say Juliet because you are you know the director or producer, and so the, the composer's job is really to follow your lead. Um, and and that's not to say that there's going to be. Um, I don't want to say disagreements, but like there might be sort of differences in opinion um, within a room and not just between the composer, but you know, filmmakers can also have different opinions until they really get, you know, on the right, on the same path, I guess, together. And so another sort of, it also depends on, you know, if, if you've got temp scores in mind and, and, and references, you know, like other, scores from films or um even artists that you like that you know it, it's like anything is helpful to help with the template right for a composer mm-hmm. so it's really important to sort of just talk about the overall sound and um anything you know different or specialized that you you envision and, and can hear it, it's and even if you don't speak the language of music um you know part of the composer's job is to sort of translate you know what you're saying into the music speak and then they can do what they do. So there's a lot of trust there but obviously the key is communication and as early on as possible um, you know driving those sort of important things in knowing that it can still evolve and change throughout the process.
0: Yeah I I can definitely relate to what you say uh, about you know, needing to be the person who translates things into the language of music. I mean, I don't think I've ever worked with a director who's a musician, and that may be a blessing. Like they'll, but they'll say to me, you know, I want kind of a whoosh here, and I want a bang here. Um, and then I try to make sense of that in, in music terms uh so how, how about you gina what what would you say to the question of the best way for a director to communicate with
3: I, I agree with Charlene um I really think it's sort of a waltz and it becomes mm-hmm. a a working friendship hopefully that's I think mm-hmm. what you're aiming towards you know sometimes it doesn't always end that way, but you know there's so many examples of um filmmakers and directors and composers that get on so nicely, they do every movie together, you know, for decades. Um, so I, it's totally about communicating and it, you know, I'm not generally part of that early on process. So I'm at the point where I'm on the scoring stage and I see relationships that have blossomed throughout the, the creative process. And I just see, you know, when a composer, I I think humility is so important because I think when a composer knows that, um, you know, he's bringing or she is bringing life to this piece of art, you're going to be open to listening and to making tweaks and fixes and that's a big part of what we do nowadays I mean Charlene can attest to that there's a lot of changes that go on on the spot and you too Chris um, where you know we've seen in the past some composers that you know have maybe a bigger ego than others don't don't feel like they should have to make so many changes um, but the best relationships come from, The ones that just sort of have a little give and take, you know, you really do you in any way, you know, even in what we do and on the scoring stage. And when you have personalities where everybody can sort of just tap into the humble side of themselves, it works really, really well.
0: Yeah, and, and, and particularly, like you were saying, in, in the kind of projects that you work on, given the scale of them, I mean, people are are giving input into the music at all times from all angles, I, I imagine. So, it, so as the composer, it, it's, you have to give up this, the sense of ownership to some extent.
3: Yes, and if I can add, now that um, in the last year with the way we have to record, you know, because of covid mm-hmm. Uh, even though the the scoring stage is quieter and there's not as many people coming and going, it sort of allows more people to dial up via Zoom. Um, And so there there are some extra opinions that maybe, you know, it's not really slowing the recording process down, but maybe people that couldn't travel before, producers that are out of town, everybody dials up now. So there are a few extra, you know, bits and pieces of... um, of opinions for composers and orchestrators and whatnot, but um, you know, all in all, it's worked well, and I think that we're we're an amazing community, and I think people, for the most part, know how lucky we are.
0: Yeah, oh, being able to do music for a living, yes, that that does, yeah, that, that's yeah. incredibly lucky. I know for me. Yeah. Um, well, how about you, Chris? What do you think about um, the best way for a director to communicate with a composer to get their ideas across?
1: uh and Gina Gina uh, touched on this really well um since she knows you know uh, a lot of composers and, and a lot of big composers and you know it, it, i got i know so many composers because my main thing is that i always go directly to the composers and make sure they know what i do uh, because of my home studio and i i mean i know some incredible composers and their careers have done very little because they are not this piece of clay that can be molded for each project in other words like i mean there's some guys now i can give you an advance uh, uh, an example of that are doing incredible because they are that person and i don't want to say that somebody knows how to write for jazz and rock and hip-hop and classical and orchestra and techno and so like we're talking about, you know, cause composers are painters and 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 some composers are known for better at one thing, better than another. But mm-hmm. I mean, like I know some incredible young composers, I'm still waiting for their careers to launch. Cause if their career launches, I go with them, right? Mm-hmm. So people that just write this incredible melodies and, and, and are good with tech and you know, they're guitar players and they know how to shred but they also know how to do orchestration with all the 40 parts by themselves. Yet, therefore, they've never done a big job yet. And the only thing I can see is that they don't know how to interact with people. They don't know how to get out of their composer artist skin and put on person skin. And, and you know, let's say, the, let's say the, the filmmaker says, yeah, you know, I, I don't want the big drums and the heavy guitars and, and, the, and these scenes. I, I want this more melodic. And so does the composer know what to do with that? And then you do five demos, 10, you know, now with, uh, you know, with everything that's sampled, you can put a demo together in a day and and throw stuff at the wall with the composer, with the filmmaker. And they have the ability to do that. But when, you know, after so many rewrites, some, some of these composers, they go, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not going to rewrite this again. I've seen this on Mm. scoring stages. Yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not, yeah, I, I wrote this. This is perfect. I know it's perfect. Let's record it. And then all of a sudden it's icicles in the room. And and it's like, good Lord, you know, but then most, let's say 80% of the time things go the right way. And they'll say, hey, trumpets in the back. That's one octave too high. Take it down the octave, put it in a flugelhorn. horn. We need it mellow there. We're all on board with that. You know, is the composer on board with that? Most are. There are some guys that dig their heels in. I wrote amazing, we're recording amazing. And so they don't get hired again. And and, and so it's it's not for everybody and, and not everybody's a good fit. And the temp score, you know, you've had m- many discussions about temp scores, you know, when you hire a composer, are you hiring that composer to just rewrite a temp score or are you hiring that composer for his skills because you really like his music from previous scores like look at look at uh, Alexander Desplat. Yeah. this guy writes incredible original music and then you know everybody and the brother uses his score to a something so let's say chris edgar you get hired to, for a job are you getting hired to write like you or write like alexander oh i really love yeah. I, I really love his score to uh, uh, uh the shape of water so like you know you deviate from what they ask for and, and you're fired you know yeah. it's a it's a tough time period but they're there are some incredible composers that get the equation I'm working for somebody. I'm not writing me, I'm writing them, you know, yeah. and, and that's a, that's a, sometimes it's a tough, it's a tough fit, you know, not everybody's going to work with everybody the right way,
0: you yeah. know? Yeah. That, that's great. Uh, some great insights there. And uh, actually, we have another question from the chat that uh, I would be interested to hear your opinions about. Um, this is from Karsten Glover. And Karsten says, uh, is there any advice, and I think you were touching on this a moment ago, Charlene, uh, is there any advice you would give an aspiring music supervisor today to be better prepared to navigate the industry and the landscape of COVID? And Why why don't we hear from you, Charlene, about that? Because I know you were talking a moment ago about the the COVID music production experience.
2: Right. Well, I mean, I think the the one major silver lining and takeaway from this past year is like we've really seen you know, that productivity can actually remain at a very high level. And we can, yeah. you know, continue to create like high quality productions, whether, you know, shooting something on, on film or creating music or mixing music down and with less crew, you know, people working, um, animating in my space, like from their own homes, you know, and so innovation and, and, and sort of, the tools out there now that we've had to adapt to. like I think that's the name of the game right now is is being flexible and that you know there's all these technologies that can really um, bridge these distance gaps, you know and 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 we can do it on scoring stages in and multiple you know hemispheres. Um, and so I guess with regards to Carson's, you know, and music supervision, I mean, music supervisors are, you know really such unsung heroes in the, mm-hmm. in the industry because they really have to sometimes be like the one person music department you know that is is generally hired as you know um, a contractor by a studio but they have to really be well-rounded in the not only sourcing music creatively and in some cases being able to even handle the legal side of it by by clearing it mm-hmm. you know and um, managing the the budgets and and sort of everything fitting within um, you know a price, um, and so it's like really filmmakers and and production studios really do lean on music supervisors for their rolodex for their contacts, mm-hmm. and you know then the other side of it is is really kind of doing A and R and 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 you know like um, pulling some of their artists like out of their, their back pocket, like people that they're like, you know, on the cusp or that they're developing or that are indie and, and are sort of ready to break. So there's just so many aspects that music supervisors are involved in, and some are more specialized in being able to handle when a scoring session comes up because they might be the only person, you know, that's handling music on a, on a production. So. Um, I guess the ticket is to really, you know, as well-rounded as you can be and kind of a, be a generalist and, and speak to all avenues of it, you know, from the, the creative licensing part to the production part of it and maybe having to create things on spec, you know, and yeah. and really produce something, um, then to sort of handling all the administrative paperwork at the end of all of it, you know? So it's, it's just, it's really runs the entire spectrum of, you know, like you're a one-person music department. And I think that's how you need to sort of uh, bill and, and advocate for yourself.
0: Yeah. Yes, I know doing what I do, I certainly feel like a one-person music department too. So I, I can certainly relate to that. Uh, what, what, what do you think about that, Gina? I'm sure that you, yeah, your experience to some degree has changed uh, in terms of working with orchestras and the kind of projects that you do during during this weird time.
3: Um, Definitely. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing how our community has early on been able to really step up and um, face the challenges because before COVID, we had a handful of musicians that were fully equipped to record at home. Mm -hmm. And not a large handful, you know, if we needed violin, there was always a few people that we, you know, everybody knew could do solos and stuff at their homes. Um, But then early on, March, April, um, we would get phone calls and emails almost every day from people that decided to invest in, home recording equipment and, you know, kind of working through ironing out the kink. Some people literally set up little studios in their closets. Um, They had to do what they had to do because, you know, we did, we ended up having a lot of TV shows and some movies that figured out real quick how to record remotely and it was definitely a lot of work, but it kept a smaller amount of people working, which was part of like what Charlene was saying. Some of the silver lining through this um, was just being able to keep people employed. Um, of course, you know when uh, your editors and mixers and engineers and stuff are getting all of these stems sent to them from musicians that, like, you know, let's say you have a TV show and there's 15 cues and you're on all 15 and you're giving four or five versions Mm -hmm. or takes so that they can, you know, sort of mash together the best of the best. You can only imagine what's coming in on the receiving end and it's definitely more work, but everybody was so willing to do it. There was just a real sense of camaraderie and team and teamwork really. And, um, Change on our end. It was sort of like one of the best parts about my job is when I get to go to the scoring stage and I get to hear what everybody's playing. So it it felt a lot more um, administrative, where we were just executing everything and doing all different aspects of it. It it's it is the role of a producer, really. We're just doing so much of everything, and then not really hearing the end product, which was for us kind of the biggest bummer, like, oh, I hope it all sounded, hope it came out good, you know, and um just kind of working around the ability that everybody had uh doing this at home because you know obviously you have to work around trash trucks and barking dogs and all kinds of things. So uh it was interesting. It was interesting. But we made it work and um we've been back in person a lot too, which is much more preferred, but we'll do what we have to do in order to keep people playing. Yeah.
0: And well, now you have these fully masked orchestras and they, there's distances between each player and so on. Yeah.
3: like we're recording strings. Most of the time it's strings. Sometimes we can put uh, woodwinds in there hmm. um, and then we'll do brass sessions and percussion and we'll isolate whoever needs to be isolated. And I got to say, our musician community has really stepped up because, you know, Charlene can attest to this. You're a violinist. Part of how you learned and the way the instrument works is playing in groups and you sit with a stand partner so you can tune and hear what's around you. And, you know, that was especially difficult when people were recording uh, remotely by themselves. But even coming back onto the scoring stage where you're no longer sharing a stand with anyone and you're six feet apart. And it definitely took some. It took some tweaking and it took a little time for everybody to start to, you know, but we're we're miracles because our ears. I mean, we're on the scoring stage and even brass players sitting far apart. I mean, we had a session a couple weeks ago where it was set up um, with. Everybody was isolated and there was baffles in between the brass players, but it was um, a trombone, trumpet, trombone, trumpet, trombone. And it was just, I was um, honestly in awe that they could yeah. play so in tune, not sitting together and only hearing themselves in such a unique setup. This is not anything we would have
0: done pre-COVID. Yeah. It, it is amazing the, the new uh, procedures that have been adopted and so quickly. Yeah. So how about you, Chris? I know you have a lot of remote recording experience and you also have done some work on the contracting side. Um, how, what, what sort of workarounds have you been seeing?
1: Um, you know, the, uh, I tell people don't go by me because when I got the second request 16 years ago, hey, uh, you know, there's a uh, broadband You don't need to drive to Santa Monica to Elias Art's uh, Jingle House to record eight bars of a Latin trumpet solo for Coca-Cola. And my cousin Damon is a recording engineer, so he's the expert at that time. I think it's fall of 04. So literally two requests in two weeks because I guess broadband came in and you could take a file, you could use uh, Fetch and load it up to the composer's FTP site, which nobody does now anymore. They just use WeTransfer or you send it. So anyways, those two requests and I go, because I'm always the guy that wants to stay ahead of the curve. So I tell other musicians, don't go by me. But so when the pandemic started, I put it out there on Facebook. Anybody that's my friend, you know, hey, if you need some advice on startup gear, you know, it's cheaper now than ever to get pro gear to be able to set up a studio within a day. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to record in a day. It's, It's definitely a learning curve. And there are people are using Logic. They're using Pro Tools. Some people, so. But the scoop is, is that, like, like Gina says, in order for us to keep working, because you know, because music has been created over phone lines for so long already, it's not optimum, obviously. Um, but so, with the with the demand of like, hey, this is the only way we're gonna do Go Dog Go on Netflix for the next twenty six episodes. We're not going to get ten people together to record. This is the only way we're doing it. Some, you know, like you decide you're going to work or you're going to collect unemployment or do nothing at all. You know, it's for musicians. It's depressing if you're not playing something and getting hired for it. Because if that's what you do, and the older you are, the more that you want to do that. If you're, you know, so that I mean, it, 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 it there. I helped a, a flute player. Here's what you need to buy. Here's your laundry list. Don't buy, don't buy anything cheaper than this because you're going to get a cheap sound. And the biggest barrier in pandemic is the actual sound of the room the person is in. Like Gina says, there's a trash truck going by or there's birds chirping. I, uh, I've been contracting UCLA Extension uh, film scoring classes the whole time, right? So I got this French horn player who's a great player, recent studio. And between the rests, there's birds chirping on the four-bar rest. I can hear through mm-hmm. his window. I go, I go, where are you recording? Oh, I'm, 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 I'm upstairs. I go, is your window open? No, 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 window's closed. You know, but so, I mean, so like that's, the, I'm not going to throw them out with the bathwater because I can delete the area where the birds are chirping because I get all this, I get all the sessions in Pro Tools and, and edit them a yeah. little bit before Damon gets them. So, but then, you know, the, the adaptation, uh, you know, for people that weren't going to do it before they did it now in order to work, but they're also keeping relationships going. Like if, if you're a flute player and, you're a compo- and your favorite composer says, hey, I got work for you, I have, I have a job for you, can you record yet? The, the biggest question in March of last year, do you have a way to record at your house yet? That's the biggest question going on as soon as pandemic started. Uh, on the, the question from the music, uh, the guy that wants to be a music, music supervisor, you know, music supervisors and music coordinators like Charlene from before, I mean, you're sending MP3s back and forth uh, on on a project six months before anything's even recorded by anybody because they're striping in you know temp tracks and all these things, and so back and forth of of uh, of MP3s uh, of soundtrack stuff, and 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 the the music editor, the music supervisor's picking out songs that are existing, but you need to re-record it. You're not going to use the existing because anything Sinatra, you can't you know it's a hundred thousand dollars for like. If you can even, you know, so a lot of films don't have that kind of budget. So in that realm of technology, you know, MP3s are being thrown around for years already, getting slapped into a temp track for something that you might work on, Chris. You know, so there are some people that are just anti-tech. They're just, I'm not going to be that guy. I know a violinist that I hire all the time. He bought the stuff. He does not like to record. He doesn't want to do it unless it's super high paying. And when it's that, it's like pulling teeth. And so I know not to reach out to him to record something. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, he's just, he doesn't enjoy it. He, there's some, some, some brains don't have those wheels in it that work that way. They just like, yeah, this is horrible. And I, I yeah. you know, I don't know if it takes any longer. It probably does for people that do it new, but uh, 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 what, what's the challenge? Is there a challenge? Throw a challenge at any musician nine out of 10 of them, 9.5 out of 10 of them are going to go, well, okay, this is like me learning a new piece. I'm learning a new Beethoven piece. Now I have to learn Pro Tools. Uh, yeah. Mo- yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I, I'm a tech head. I've always been a tech head since 1987. So uh, I'm looking for new stuff to buy all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a, so yeah, it's a kind of a fun new challenge in a way. And I, and I, I appreciated what you said about um, low budget productions, because I, I know that I, I'm always uh, you know striving to work with whatever budget I got I, I have uh, to produce a uh, you know the highest quality possible sound and and that was a question that I wanted to raise with all of you too. Um, uh, Charlene, when, when you're when you're working on a lower budget production uh, and trying to get the most big professional quality sound that you can, uh, what maybe you could give some insight into how you would approach that.
2: I mean, from either side of the glass is I like to say, like whether it's on the studio side or from the musician side, you know, it's sometimes we talk about, you know, like if if we can do anything live, then maybe it's uh, sweetening, right? Just like sort of picking and choosing um, with lower numbers of players just to to add some warmth, you know, on top of the um, synthesized, you know, tracks and, and, and programmed music, which is what is called in the box, right? So normally on lower budgets, it's there's an assumption that a lot of it is going to be in the box with some sweetening or some um, soloist overdubbing here and there. Or a lot of times, as you know, Chris, you're probably playing your own instruments on your scores. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of ways to tackle it and, and to still make um, you know scores um, and recordings very special. But that's, that's the joy of, um, I guess there's there's creativity and there's strategy within any range of budgets. Uh, so it just depends, I guess, on, on on what the the end goal is and um, what the the sound you know is being uh, yeah executed, like the the vision of the sound.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely have a lot of experience with trying to, trying to sweeten the uh, the sample libraries that I've used. You've done that actually on a couple of my productions, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, Gina, what what kind of um, what kind of tips and tricks would you have for someone who was trying to get a a big professional sound, but they are operating under a constrained budget?
3: Well, that's a good question. I mean, most of the time, if we get those, we literally put a chat together with the musician and us and the engineer. Mm -hmm. Um, And just really, because every project is so different. Um, One of the things that we found pretty helpful throughout all of this was, um, I want to say maybe the first one we did, we just kind of gave everybody the music and everybody did what they had to do and then they turned it in. Then we realized it would probably be better if all the principal chairs played their parts first and then gave everybody everybody could play to that. So there was some sort of a gauge and that ended up working well. Um, And then as we, uh, like with one certain composer, as we moved on a little bit, we realized we actually don't need everybody to send in four or five different takes of their cues because musicians are very conscientious they're hard on themselves as we know they're never they never want to send something in that's not perfect and so i think it um you know we have i don't know that anything has stuck for several months in a row we're always evolving and trying to figure out the best way the fastest most effective way to get the best product in and um Yeah. So, I mean, we don't really do, we don't really have them turning in multiple takes anymore. I think we've kind of like, we, everybody pretty much has it down. And if there, we haven't really had a whole lot of issues. I would say I could count on one hand where we've heard from an engineer that has said, Oh, you know what? Do you think we can ask so-and-so to redo a couple cues? Cause it just, there was something in the background, like Chris was saying with the birds, like there's sometimes you just don't know, what's happening you're turning it in but for the most part i mean i'm telling you the people we work with are a bunch of rock stars yeah they really know what's going on they really yeah. do
0: yeah that that's definitely been my experience too particularly when when people are recording something from home um usually they'll they'll send me multiple takes and then the first one i listen to it's like okay well <laughs> yeah i'll run with that one that's fine
3: <laughs> yeah i don't even need to listen to the other ones
0: yeah yeah um and uh chris uh what about you what what would you say to someone who was asking how how to get a high budget sound on a low budget
1: well i mean definitely uh you know there's some samples that are better than others as you know yeah. everybody has the best sample libraries i mean you know one of the favorite things on the composer perspective page on facebook created by mary mayer and and, and um richard kraft and uh adonis elettris you know What's the bet you know, the discussion every day. Uh and there's a couple of discussion, but so e- couple discussions. What's the best sample library for brass? So I always chime in. You know, you gotta hire live guys. So they all laugh. Yeah. LOL, uh, you know, but you know, y- you obviously want these samples to write with. Uh we did we did a Cine Samples uh uh library, oh I wanna say it was about five years ago, and it was a union date with uh, royalties afterwards. Uh, They wanted to do it the right way and they wanted Sony, you know. So I put together the first CineSample brass sampling data at Sony. The second one, I was unavailable and they wanted to use their own contractor they knew from USC, Noah Gladstone. You know, so those libraries are classical brass in Sony scoring stage. It's probably two second delay in the stage. I mean, you you use that stage because you want that big cinematic brass sound. So like when somebody hits me up and says, hey, Chris, I got a trumpet solo for you. It's, uh, you know, it's like born on the 4th of July, but it's born on the 3rd of July. You got to sound like Tim Morrison, you know? And, and I go, what are you using for your sample library? They go soon samples. I go, you already got me, you know? So they laugh. And, but so like the two dimensionality of the samples are never going to be as good as a live guy playing on a ribbon mic through a great preamp. And so, for the stuff to sound better than it is on a limited budget. A lot of budgets are limited. There's small, you know, there's tons of things that don't have a large enough budget to have a scoring stage and a music contractor and um, uh, Los Angeles and the musicians union. And so the individual soloists replacement of the samples. And so brass samples, trumpet, I have not heard uh, the unbelievable trumpet sample yet. Uh, Although, you know, there's some low trombones and low French horns that are like, yeah, those sound pretty good. I wouldn't replace that either. You know, so every sample's got its, uh, you know, use. And so when you're on a limited thing yourself, when you're scoring for something yourself, Chris, and you know, what do you absolutely have to record? I, you know, saxophones are horribly sampled still. Um, yeah. You know, woodwind solos are horribly sampled still. Strings are not bad. I mean, if you have no budget and, and, and you're going to do one violin, one viola, one cello, one bass over the top of your fake orchestra. A lot of times, uh, a lot of my business is replacing trumpet samples as a trumpet soloist for Sean Callery, you know, the themes to his shows. And, you know, a, I do a lot of so uh, sample trumpet replacement where I'm sometimes the only live person on that lower budget, um, you know, project because, you know, it, 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 you know, and we also have the Eastern European orchestras, that are super cheap but they're pretty good now i mean i i i I know composers that your back's against the wall but you have to have live strings because you wrote something so amazing that samples are never going to do it um lower budget eastern europe uh london is uh probably the same budget as la but without resids and different union structure you know so super challenging times and you know a lot of composers don't get Here's your budget to compose here's your budget to record. It's package deal, which twenty years ago nobody even knew what that term was you know now the now the composer is the producer is the music department for that show, and a lot of times you're mixing you know let's say you get hundred thousand dollars for a low budget movie that's a pretty good amount of money for somebody yeah. that's a, 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 like a lower or mid level composer there's There's a big disparity between lower budget stuff and higher budget stuff. I don't know if there's a lot of mid mid-range stuff this cartoon i do now and charlene you probably are working on this the go dog go netflix super low budget right but the composer writes these incredible half hour brass brass swashbuckling things and he's and and i'm playing french horn b-flat french horn and b-flat valve trombone and his samples are pretty good right but i send them in and i go and sometimes the stuff is written really hard You know, so part of the thing is that, sure, you can write this on a keyboard. Is it playable by a human? Many times I'll just circle and I go, hey, I played four notes out of five. This fifth note is not even playable. You know, so but he's still spending some money to replace the woodwind, the violin and the lead brass guy. You know, I don't know what he's getting per episode, but he's reaching into his package personally to make the sound better because his name is is on the sound of this you know so what's it worth for you to have someone go my god who did the music to that because the sound of that is what i want oh he used four live players you know so it's that recognize you know how does somebody recognize the value of that you know so super challenging times that way um you know and then even more because of covid like gina said um you know, there's, I play on stuff from, from people in London. I know composers in London. I know a guy that used to live here. He was doing the horn parts for Michael Giacchino. Giacchino was recording some songs for, I think he's writing a musical. And the English composer used to be here, went back to England, left the States because of the politics. He's still there. He, he dials me up. He says, Hey, uh, Reggie Wilson's going to do the contract. Um, this is pre-COVID, can you bring over the bone player and the sax player to your studio? I'm going to send you the parts, we've got three tunes and I need it back by, by next Friday. You know, the dude's in London, you know, he's eight hours, eight hours ahead, you know, so, you know, depends on how bad you need to replace that fake sound. I mean, here's the biggest, here's the biggest issue I see. Composers have been sitting in front of fake sounds for so long they are so used to those fake sounds, as soon as I send a live trumpet, they go, good Lord. And a lot of times they're right. very happy. And then I'll get a, I'll get a rewrite. Oh, Hey, Chris, that one note, it's, it's too short. Um, I wanted it really short. Like I played it and I go, yeah, I can't make it that short as you played it. Cause it's not humanly possible. Yeah. So, so there's, a, there's some things that you can't do humanly that you can do on your keyboards and sequencing. So that's the biggest issue. And also, yeah when you get a PDF of something to play, unless that thing is thoroughly marked, there's five ways to play it. So, yeah, you know, that's very challenging.
0: Yes, it it, it sounds like it, and and everyone's got their own innovative ways to deal with it now. Um, I I wasn't able to get through all the questions because now we've reached uh, the end of our conversation, but um, I, I thank you all so much for being here Um, I wish I had more time to talk to all of you, but uh, yes, thank you so much for your input.
3: Thank Thank you, Chris.
0: Mm -hmm. That was fun. Mm